Pleasure to have you with us, and it's more uh, than a pleasure to be with you. This is the spec sheet with Curtis Thornton. I'm Michael Van Dieven, and here's Curtis. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, welcome to the, to the show tonight, and uh, we have a lot of good stuff to talk about. I'm excited. A lot of things have happened since. Are you really? Show. You sound a I little am. bit jazzed, a little bit juiced. I am. Uh, any week that uh, sees uh, the PlayStation Network get totally demolished is a very interesting week. Okay, so now you've never actually thrown down in the way you just did, but now you're actually throwing down in terms of the uh, PS3 versus Xbox 360 battle. Are you not? Yeah. Well, I, I am because... Oh, by the way, I'd like to really quickly say hi to my sister uh, driving to Atlanta, listening on her Android device. Hi there, and I love you. Drive safely. Anyway, you were saying, I'm sorry. Hey, no problem. Uh, all shout-outs uh, are uh, enjoyed on this show. So, so yeah, be safe and uh, don't buy a play, PlayStation 3. Uh, See, this is really uh, acidic. I, I didn't know you were this way. I didn't know this was the league you played in, so to speak. <laughs> well, you know, I, I try to keep it quiet at first, and then when it's time to swoop in, when the thing's already dead, then I just attack. Oh, well, that doesn't but, sound uh, fair to me. It, so, it's not. It isn't about being fair. It's the spec sheet. So anyway, you're happy to hear about the news with the PS3, the PSN, or PS PlayStation Network is what it actually stands for. Right. And I won't say that I'm happy. I, that's you're happy. Going. No, you're happy. I sense I'm happy it. happy because it's, it's news. It's palpable. <laughs> it really I, is. I'm happy because we get to talk about it. Well, we'll jump on it in just a moment. I want to tell everybody, by the way, go to radiotrainwreck.com. That's radiotrainwreck.com. And click on the chat room in the menu if you'd like to chat, if you'd like to chat with us in real time. We've got a uh, recently installed chat room, which I think you will find to be uh, superior to that uh, that was in the uh, chat room oh, just over the course of the last few weeks. I mean, I have literally today gone through three different chat room installations on the website, trying to find one that's even remotely uh, feasible for what it is that we do. And yeah. even the one that's in there now, it's Flash-based. So, by the way, your browser's going to have to be running Flash if this is going to work for you. But if you're able to get YouTube videos to play on your browser, well, then it's going to work. Well, so, and, and you've alienated the iPad and iPhone, but we won't talk about that. Well, those aren't really... Those are Fisher Price toys, as far as you're concerned. They really are. Got a real computer. You know what? If you're going to hang with the big boys, then hang with the big boys. But let's not let's not halfway this thing. But you're going to need to have Flash installed. But every chat room I have installed, it's had some problem or another. I finally was able to settle on this one today, after about four hours of attempting to install chat rooms, 
And this one seems to be working okay. Uh, yeah, so far. Yeah, so it's radiotrainwreck.com. Click on the chat room in the menu. You can also go there if you would like to subscribe to the podcast, which I heartily recommend you do. So yes. uh, yeah. PSN, they got hacked, for those who aren't aware. I think we talked about this on the last show. Uh, uh, we, we only talked about... Uh, we we compare the two networks a little bit, and ultimately we oh that it's been a while since you and I yeah. did a show. actually so that was Evelyn and yeah Evelyn exactly. and Nace who I'm so excited I get to jump into the mix okay so well for those who don't listen to that show but do listen to this show give a little background as to exactly what happened okay so uh, the generic uh, details here are that uh, going back a few months ago Sony. Uh, goes after uh, an end user of their network who who hacked uh, the PlayStation, basically rooted, you could say, the the PlayStation device. Wait a minute. Go ahead. You mean to tell me this whole thing was revenge? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, if you go back to the 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 main source of what started it, uh, when Sony and the the hacking group Anonymous started to to fight, there was a guy, and I wish I could remember his name. I'm looking through here. I uh, heard something about it, but I'm with you. I can't remember anything about it. Yeah. Uh, so so basically, a, a guy hacks the device, uh, the PlayStation 3, and uh, promotes it. Sony goes after this guy, guns blazing. What did the hack uh, do? Uh, it, well, it opened up the, the device to where you could go in and install your own programs. Oh, God uh, forbid. Exactly. God forbid you should use your device as you might please. Uh, yeah, think of like jailbreaking an iPhone or rooting on a. It, it, it is called rooting on an Android, right? How did consumers ever get convinced that they shouldn't have control of the devices they purchase? How did they, yeah. how did they ever get convinced of this? Particularly a computer. I mean, your PS3 is a computer. Your Xbox 360 is a computer. But for some reason, because it's not in tower form, it happens to be in more of a console shape. That, for some reason, causes consumers to believe that it's in somehow, in some way, inherently different. I don't get it. Yeah. Well, Sony, I, mean, I guess a lot of the technology companies have always tried to lead us that direction. This has been years of, of uh, social engineering with technology devices uh, have led us to this. So, uh, so it's not surprising. Uh, I mean, if you think back to uh, the, the early Discmans that, that you would get from Sony, they would always have something proprietary about them, whether it was the interface or... Their, their skip technology that took years to, or buffering technology that took years to get to other devices. It should have been something that was out there and everyone was using. But yeah, I remember when that buffering disc. technology came along, actually. That was some pretty sweet stuff at it the was, time. It was, but you could only get it with Sony, though, for a long time, which yeah, Sony devices were always double the price because it said Discman or Walkman on it. Who would have uh, thought the idea of buffering would be something proprietary? Ooh, flash right. memory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but finally it, it got to everybody else. But yeah. but still the idea. Uh, so uh, the the same thing it, when that gets hacked, uh, it frees up the device for the end user to to come up with all kinds of new ways to to work with it. And and to go back to what I when we were comparing the two devices uh, for the Xbox, I said the Connect is really cool for what it could be, not just what it is now. And hacking is one of the things. Uh, Microsoft, who's notorious for, for trying to control and manage their devices and code, they realized that the community is changing when people started to hack the Connect. At first, they, they went out prepared to attack. And then they realized that this thing's building a life and a community unlike most Microsoft devices. So they backed off of it and said, okay, this isn't what it was made for, but do your thing. 
at some point when someone builds a commercially viable product out of it, Microsoft will come in and try to take it over. Right. But for now, they're letting the thing go and, and have some fun. And there are some pretty sweet videos on YouTube you can check out of the Connect hacks. Um, yeah, the some, virtual reality. Yeah, really amazing stuff, stuff that I'm sure Microsoft never even thought of. Right. So so they, they had a choice to make there uh, on do we go after these people or do we just back up and let the community have some fun, which is what's made Linux so popular is the fact that the community is in control. Uh, so so Sony has the chance to do the same thing here. Uh, and it, it's not a perfect one to one scenario, because obviously if you hack and steal games on a Xbox system or hack their their gaming network for cheats, Microsoft's going to come after you. Uh, but Sony, too, I mean, that. so th- their system gets hacked to where you can do pirating and you can control what, again, what apps are installed on it uh, to a certain degree. There's not a whole lot of apps that are built for the, the PlayStation system. It's just harder to do. But but anyway, they opened it up. And uh, an ironic little side note to this is uh, Twitter. Somebody had posted the password for what it takes to, to root the admin account on the PlayStation. And a Sony employee happened to retweet it thinking that it was just a funny comment somebody made, <laughs> but in it actually had the password. So wow. the, the, the tweet got taken off quickly. But just another way where Sony is not, they're not in the game understanding what's really going on on the so, ground level. So did Sony believe they had legally actionable things happening with the oh, yeah. rooting of the, because hasn't the Library of Congress ruled that, uh, which I don't understand the legality of that, how the Library of Congress rules on anything. But this was the story a while back that the uh, that Apple was trying to, to say it was a DMCA issue, a D- digital millennium copyright issue, um, that people should not be able to jailbreak their iPhones as a result of the DMCA. And the Library of Congress came out and said, no, that's wrong. You, in fact, do have the right to jailbreak your iPhone. I believe the Congress, the, the actual Congress, not just the Library of Congress, that had... Well, what was the Library of Congress's involvement in this? Because every time I heard the story, it was the Library of Congress this, the Library of Congress that. Well, you know, I don't know, because I wonder if... if it made no games sense. Games and, and all that, are those categorized in the Library of Congress in any way? I, maybe. I don't know. They may yeah. have some kind of weird jurisdiction over this. I don't know. Yeah, but, I know that there was a, a an act or a, a bill passed saying that it wasn't illegal to uh, so reverse engineer devices. But If that's uh, the case, how can, how can Sony have any legally actionable complaints it, against this hacker? It's got to be on some kind of copyright uh, in some way. I mean, I, I don't know the exact detail, but there has to have been something that they this guy did that they considered to be private code. Because the thing about uh, reverse engineering to to hack a device that's not necessarily illegal. I get. I mean, from the way I understand it, with the the bills that have been passed, uh, it's not illegal to mess around on the device to try to find a way to get more control over it. What matters is when you start modifying code and and making it do things that it wasn't meant to do, that's when you start to get fuzzy. I don't know that there's really been a court How case. Though? I mean, it's a computer. I mean, people do things with a computer all the time that they weren't necessarily meant to do, oh, but no, they don't get notices posted on their door by Microsoft or by well, look, Hoop what Dell. What we're doing right now, I mean, podcasting, uh, if the the media people out there in the world had their control over it, we wouldn't be sitting here recording with uh, as many people as we, we have in a month listening to it. Well, we are a force to be reckoned with. 
Exactly. Leo Laporte would be very worried right now if he actually took the time to <laughs> pay attention to the little man. Uh, give it time. But exactly. Uh, so so going back to, to Sony, they go after this dude, hardcore, who, who hacks this. They, they're threatening lawsuits or they actually are doing a lawsuit against him. Uh, Isn't this the guy who went on vacation to South America or something and he was people were suggesting he was running from the lawsuit and he said, no, I'm just on vacation. It was a planned vacation well before Sony decided to attack me legally. I think that is the same guy. I read a story about his vacation pursuits recently. Maybe. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's kind of a non sequitur injection there but i thought well, i'd throw that in <laughs> well no that, that, that that's funny because that, that's exactly how i like to think that the modern day hacker would act so, <laughs> so anyway i'm sorry to keep i'm sorry to keep interrupting go ahead oh it's all right so uh there, there's an internet forum that some people may not be aware of and if you're not i would recommend staying away from it but uh 4chan i think it's 4chan.com or 4chan.org uh it's a internet forum that is totally open. It's the wild west of, of internet websites. And, uh, there's a group of hackers called anonymous. Uh, and I'm going to guess that some of them are listening to our podcast cause they love us. I'm sure. Uh, but anyway, uh, they posted on this forum, they started a whole conversation about how they think it's ridiculous that Sony would go after the little guy. And uh, these guys have, have been known to go after big organizations, including security organizations in the past, after the whole WikiLeaks scandal uh, played out several months ago. Well, these guys now set their sights on Sony with all kinds of threats, all kinds of uh, promises that uh, they would go after them if they continued their attack on this dude uh, who had hacked their system. And uh, so that brings us to the point of uh, a couple weeks ago, or is it, how many days has it been now? Uh, has it been two weeks or is it one week? Since the hack? I think it, yeah. I think the news really started to break around the 24th. 24th, okay. So so anyway, the, the network goes down at first, uh, the PlayStation Network, which is what manages all the games, all your profiles, everything that the PlayStation 3 uh, device and the Curiosity uh, video services, uh, they, they knock out the, the network. Think of the, the equivalent of if... Uh, uh, the Battle.net, which is what uh, Battle.net Network, which is what uh, World of Warcraft, Starcraft, right. several games use. They, they just took out the servers that run it. Plus, at the same time, they grabbed all kinds of personal information about people. Think so, how many marriages would suddenly improve out there. <laughs> that's true. It would really be a frightening phenomenon. Anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, maybe this was actually a Match.com did it. Yeah. <laughs> Could have yeah. been. Or uh, Jesus so, himself. Yeah, th- this is the, the second coming. Uh, first, you have to get people off their computers so they notice it. But uh, <laughs> so, so anyway, now their their network has been down for for weeks. And uh, if you own a PlayStation device uh, or a Sony Blu-ray player uh, or streaming anything that connects to the Curiosity Network, uh, you need to go and change your passwords on their website. Uh, probably make sure that if you have a credit card on it, that there's no mysterious. Uh, charges that have been been put to it. But uh, honestly, I can say for me, when I first heard about it, that this hack happened, I thought, well, I'm glad I don't have a PlayStation 3, first off. Uh, second, I'm thinking I, I, th- this doesn't really affect me in any way. Uh, I, I can kind of laugh because although I love Sony devices to use, I think they are a really closed company. And if you've ever used a Sony Vio laptop, you know that they really don't listen to the end user uh, or they don't care about the end user when they develop a device. They 
their Apple light, I guess, when it comes to having a, this this desire to control the the interface. Uh, In what way do you come to that conclusion on the P, on their PC market side of things? Well, well uh, any if you ever take a regular desktop computer, let, let's say you take an HP computer, uh, which is a heavily managed by each HP device, they put in a mix of what they think is going to be technology that's going to last for a couple of years because the person buying an HP is just, a, I want to say, a middle-of-the-road user for the most part. They're not not a power user who wants to to, to build their own PC or be on the cutting edge, typically. Uh, and they're also not a low-end consumer that's buying uh, the $99 PC or the lowest they can get. They're somewhere in the middle, so they want their computer to last for a while. So HP is going to put in programs, bloatware that they think the, the end user is going to want. They're going to put in average uh, hardware that's going to, going to last for a while. Sony, uh, what they'll do on that same PC, which actually is always going to be more expensive, it's a Sony, they put all kinds of programs on it that, that they think makes your life better because it happens to be Sony's. They, they give you a, a form factor that... The Sony always, video editing suite! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, you you have used a Sony. Yeah, so that they, they always do a form factor. That's what I think is ugly. And, and second, it doesn't allow for any expansion. And their PCs, usually, you pay a lot of money for a computer that's good right now but has no forethought for what you're going to be doing two or three years from now. And again, that middle-of-the-road consumer doesn't want to buy a PC constantly. Uh, then then you look at the laptops. Uh, I've never liked a Sony VAIO uh, layout. And again, I like Sony devices, audio systems. I, I think they do a good job with receivers, home theater, TVs. I own a Sony TV, and it's it's my favorite TV I've ever owned. They do a good job at certain things, but in the PC world, they don't they aren't paying attention to the same things that I do. They don't care about the same mid market person that I think is the typical user. That's why you don't see Sony VAIOs in businesses typically. You don't see them in a lot of homes. Those people are buying a Dell or a, an HP. And then again, the low-end user is buying a, a, an e-machines or something like that. Does that make sense? Did I? Oh, of course. What, yeah. Or, or, but what, like, and what led us into that was you were saying that Sony has a predisposition, predisposition toward proprietary hardware and what have you. And uh, exa- Exactly. That's one of the reasons you're not particularly interested in the PS3, I believe. That's what you were saying. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, it, well, going back to our, our last show, I like it as a device that's doing a lot of different things at the same time, but not any one of them really well. I mean, it's it's an awesome gaming system with, with lots of power to it, but it also is a Blu-ray player. So which do you want to be, a, a video device or a gaming device? Uh, if I don't want to have a bunch of stuff cluttering up my entertainment center, then I want to pick the Sony because of all the things it could do. But if I want to play games, which is what most people who buy uh, one of the current gen systems wants to do, they don't, I don't know. They, they didn't put all their, their cards in that basket. That's for sure. Maybe five years ago, if something of this nature were to have happened, it wouldn't have nearly the impact that it has today because gaming now is far more connected than it was just five years ago. Um, and so we have these two platforms, PS3 and Xbox 360, in many ways neck and neck. Um, and I think that this event could very well push the PS3 over the competition precipice. Um, well, I think it has the potential for sure. 
I, I very well could spell the end of the PS3 as a platform that uh, consumers are interested in. And it doesn't have to tilt that scale very far because these things build exponentially on themselves. Uh, you know, right. look at a phone platform where uh, they, they've got to get the developers in there so that they can get more users. And you got to get more users so that the developers are going to be more interested in the platform. But to get the users, there's got to be apps. And to get the apps, you got to have more developers. And so these things yeah. just sort of exponentially build on top of one another. And I think they deflate at a comparable rate exponentially. And, uh, I mean, PS3, it is a platform. Uh, Xbox 360 is a platform, and when platforms are wounded in this way, uh, particularly in a market as competitive as the gaming market, for Christ's sake, uh, I think that this could really, really spell trouble for the future of the uh, PlayStation uh, platform. Yeah, well, this is versus the, Xbox. Th this is either the Palm OS, like two years ago, where uh, Palm and the the trio was the the uh, I guess going back a little bit farther than than a f two two years ago going back to the early smartphone uh, w when you had the battles of uh, really you had BlackBerry which was was young still uh, and the Palm OS and Palm OS was just ruling I mean all the apps were being built for it they had the coolest phone in the trio uh, the world seemed like they they were going to own it forever uh, and then they they got complacent and their devices never updated and never grew. Uh, if uh, they had had a, a, a hack to the same level back five years ago, then that would have been the end of of uh, the Palm OS and uh, the Trio. Instead, they kind of hung on for a while, but uh, and then now finally they've been absorbed by by HP. Ironically, I bring them up twice in one show. Uh, but but anyway, if that had happened to the smart or to the the Palm OS back then, it would have been dead in the water and, and done. So is uh, is this going to make the PlayStation platform become the, the Palm OS, which was awesome in its day, but fades away after this? You know, that's my question. I, I can't answer that yet. I think it totally depends on, on on what they do to to give the end user a reason to think it's worth it to be with them still. Uh, when it comes to security, it, it totally scares me. If Sony, with the amount of people they have paying for their system and using their network, uh, it scares me to think that they weren't paying enough attention to their security that something like this would happen. And if they didn't, did my or is Microsoft? Have they hardened their networks? Uh, you know, I I don't think anyone's ever going to be able to know for sure. I'm going to guess there's a lot of engineers working right now to make sure that the Microsoft network or the the Xbox Live network is secure. But my guess is that it probably wasn't anywhere near what it should be. Too. Uh, it'll be interesting once the network is back up for Sony to see what they do to try to to give back to the end user who lost several weeks of gaming. Well, here's this from GamerFeed. Sony has said before that they're doing a welcome back program for the PSN users who've been inconvenienced by the PSN's recent outage before, and now we have more details concerning it for the European market, that is. Sony's official EU blog has just detailed that Sony will be offering PSN users the opportunity to select two PS3 games from a list of five as well as offering PSP users the opportunity to choose two games from a list of four. Unfortunately, Sony EU has not disclosed what titles will be available to choose from or whether it will let users choose between PS3 and PSN games. This deal is for the EU market only for now. 
Although it would make a lot of sense if Sony Computer Entertainment of America did the same thing, which wouldn't surprise anyone if they did. Actually, I think it would surprise a lot of people if they did. Yeah, I I don't know. The, the thing is, there, there's so many games out there that are on the PSN network alone that aren't as good. Like, if, if they were to make on this list, which I highly doubt they will, the top five selling games for the PS3 that you could get that for free then maybe that would take the bad taste out of people's mouths right now. But, man, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's a good idea, but is it good enough? But I, I kind of compare this to the uh, the Gulf oil spill of uh, gaming networks. Uh, is BP going to rise or are they going to fall apart in the U.S. because of this, Sony being the BP? Uh, if BP had offered you free gas for, for five fill-ups, would that make you like them more? You mentioned HP. Um, well, you've mentioned them a couple of times actually mm-hmm. since the show started, um, and you mentioned their buyout of Palm and Palm's new WebOS, and mm-hmm. it made me think to myself: Have you ever seen something as unimpressive as an HP logo on the back of a phone? Uh, oh, yeah, that that would make me think to drop that phone. I can't imagine walking around with a telephone a smartphone with quotation marks around the word smart with an HP logo on the back of it. It just, it seems so counterintuitive. Well, I would think any, any phone device they would make, just like I described their PCs. Right. That's how their phone would be. Right. It's going to be all bloated up. You think the Droid X was bad with their Amazon apps and these, uh, this stupid racing game. And they had a blockbuster app on there, which that stuff's all easy to wipe out once you root the phone. But the fact is, it's right. on there from the factory, which isn't good for some people because some people have no idea what the word root even means. And right. you can imagine what these people are going to think when they get this phone from HP that's loaded down with the Dell HP Media Center. Or, or I'm sorry, the HP Media Center or mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the HP photo editing software suite thingy. It's It's really, I mean, and the first thing you're going to think is, why am I going to have video editing on my phone. Right? <laughs> well, it, that's funny because uh, on the uh, the iPhone platform, Oh, I'm aware. They, they, yeah, yeah they're they really pushing the, uh, the iMovie. Yeah, but how much can you really do with that? I mean, come on. Well, you know, I, I don't know. On the on the web, it's so easy to, to fake things. But there's, there's been some really cool videos people have posted that they've they've clipped and uh, edited using just an iPhone. The, the the idea is really cool, but yeah, if you're taking a video of your child's uh, recital or just playing in a playground, what really are you going to edit on it? Go back and watch, uh, just randomly watch videos on YouTube and tell me how many of them that a real user uploaded that they go through and do any kind of post production on. I, if it's not if it's not for viral purposes, it, it probably didn't have any post. I was watching a uh, video of the HP tablet that they uh, have recently thrown together with the uh, WebOS on it. Yeah. And, uh, man, it really looked laggy. I mean, they they trot this thing out, and this is its debut moment, and they're sliding through the screens. And look, in this era with the iPad and the iPad 2, you cannot bring a tablet device out there and be swiping between screens and have it jittering and you can, oh, yeah. where you can see the frame rate as it's flipping through screens. That's not acceptable in 2011. Sorry, it's not. You're already playing catch-up. Don't well, come do you, out of the gate with a disadvantage that's obvious to everybody. Do you remember the slate? 
uh, from HP, which I thought was the coolest tablet. Was that the one that was going to run Windows 7? Yeah. I mean, the, the yeah. coolest non-iPad tablet. I, I would have bought a Slate. I wanted one for about five minutes. Well, it, it, the idea of it I thought was pretty cool. And the fact that you can have the whole OS there, that, that's the one thing that Apple uh, doesn't do. And I understand why, because there's all these concerns for battery life and uh, controlling the experience. And it's just not a, a finger interface. I mean, it's just not. And I mean, the hardware was neat. And mm-hmm. listening to the excitement of Steve Ballmer was, I guess, moderately intriguing. Uh, intriguing, But I really just feel like I hear Paul Therott complain about this all the time and say that, you know, we've done this. We've been there. Uh, Ten years ago, we had slates and tablets right. and the whole works with Windows shoehorned onto it. Uh, yeah, well, I think I think his podcast is a good thing to mention to all of our users for the ones who who don't listen to Windows Weekly. Uh, that's one of the podcasts out there. I haven't listened to it recently, but it's definitely with his what's his website? Uh, uh, the Windows WinSupersite dot com. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, there's not often we we promote things on here, but I think he's somebody worth. Oh yeah, WinSupersite dot com. Paul Therati's a great writer. Uh, he's a great technologist. Um, yeah, he really and knows he, what he's talking about. Yeah, he, do, he doesn't goof off and uh, he, he's not telling you fluff. Usually he's he's getting down to the details. Yeah. I, anyway, I really would like to have seen the uh, web OS thing take off from Palm. But as soon as I heard who the buyer was. Eh. Yeah, well, with HP and and smart devices, they've been a Windows mobile player for years. So it didn't really make sense to me that. I think the whole idea was they wanted to take some of the the form factor things and some of the patents that that Palm had, and then pretty much kill the device after that. Um, did you? Speaking of that, did you hear that HP is going to start shipping PCs sometime late this year or next year? Uh, that feature WebOS on initial startup, and you can choose not to even go into Windows. No, I haven't heard that, but that I mean that's similar to. Uh, I mean, a lot of devices have that with with Dell, uh, their pre-boot environment. Uh, it, it's not not uh, WebOS. Oh, it's it's, n- it's nothing you could yeah. call robust. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think with the. But I, I mean, we're talking a full-fledged operating system here that's going to precede Windows on these machines, and you know, yeah. HP being Microsoft's primary partner, mm-hmm. um, that's got to be making a few people a little bit nervous. I would imagine. That's where the yeah, bread but, and butter is for Microsoft Windows and Office. Microsoft makes make they, they've actually been losing money. I think uh, they've been losing share of uh, profits uh, on the Windows side of it for a while now. Even though they've had record sales of Windows Seven, yeah. But Most, how much do they have to lose before they start turning the lights off earlier <laughs> to save yeah, well, power? You know. Well, the thing is that that Microsoft they they make their money with their their OEM partners through the the server and business network. The the home PC is nowhere it's a drop in the bucket compared to what they're making on server farms and server os's microsoft office for some strange reason still uh speaking of which i just recently started using intriguing why are uh, they making so much money on office still i don't really understand that i mean particularly since the the jump between 2007 and 2010 uh office 2010 or was it 2011? What's the new one? We're 20, 2010, and, and yeah. I don't like the interface at all. I mean, What's, There's not really anything new from what I hear. Why are yeah. people going to run out and buy this? Just install 2007. It's completely modern. It's going to do inst- everything you need it or want it to do. What's the when point? You, when you install seven, 20, uh, 2007, 
disable the uh, the ribbon immediately because the that's ribbon possible. The, yeah, you, well, you can go in and change the interface to a. Uh, it, it's not exactly like the classic, but it pretty much gets rid of it, and you have your file edit view toolbar again. I I don't have it installed on this PC right now. I have to think about how to to do it, but it's it's easy to do. You, I hate the ribbon. So, do you think that's the dominant opinion of the ribbon hatred? The dominant yeah, I, uh, feeling toward it? Uh, I've seen very few users who actually like it. Uh, huh. And uh, uh, this uh, afternoon when we had set up our time to uh, do the podcast, I had sent a tweet out and everybody follow uh, the spec sheet uh, or at the spec sheet on Twitter. Uh, that, that's our Twitter address for this show. Uh, I, I tweeted out for everybody to to let me know what you guys wanted to talk about. And one of our, our friends who called in last time, whose Twitter handle is RVXTM, he sent to us uh, some information about Windows 8, Windows 8 and wants to know what we think about the changes in this new version, login screen, ribbon UI, which is why I bring this up. And uh, I've looked a little bit into the, the updates on Windows 8, and uh, I'm, I'm still struggling on whether I like it or not. Anytime I see the ribbon, it worries me, and I'm not a fan of okay, it. Okay, well, hold that there. That's a good... That's. I don't know anything about what's coming in Windows 8. I've heard right. rumors and speculation, but nothing solidified, that's for sure. So I guess you're going to say you've got some info? A little bit, yeah. Okay. All right, well, we'll hold that there, and uh, that'll be a good thing to get people to stick around during the break. Uh, this is the Spec Sheet with Curtis Thornton, 573-837-4948. Wasn't that nice? Dad, can you hear Camptown Races now? Son, you know those MIDI files aren't sorted. Please? Wish you could find a way to organize all your MIDI files by date and name? Well, now you can with the Cinco MIDI Organizer Filing System. It hooks up to any T38 SCSI port. First, unlock your hard drive by rotating the Tully toggle. Now load our revolutionary 10-disc floppy software bundle. Just sit back and watch the MIDI organizer as it identifies MIDI files, pulls them off your computer, and puts them into the Cinco box. Once in the box, each file is assigned an Umrin, or unique MIDI routing number. Now you can organize your files by name, date, kind, or size. Then print. We found it. Camptown Races. Six, five, one, six, three, six, eight, seven, nine, six, five, one, zero, seven. The Cinco Mini Organizer Filing System. Order now! It is the Spec Sheet with Curtis Thornton. I'm Michael Van Dieven. If you want to call the show, the phone number is 573-837-4948. That's area code 573-837-4948. Visit our website. It's located at radiotrainwreck.com. We've got a nice little chat room in there for you. If you'd like to join us, we'd be happy to have you there. And 
Welcome to Here's Curtis. Hey, welcome back to the spec sheet. The only place where elite and nerd and geek can all come together and sit at the same table. That was a really sloppy break I played there the, with all the dead air and what have you. I had technical difficulties, but did you like the mini the midi spot? <laughs> yes, I did. I loved that. First time I'd heard it, it was, it was a good surprise. You got to hear the, you got to watch the video that goes along with it too, though, because oh, yeah. uh, it's it's 50% of, of the uh, total experience. Yeah. So uh, prior to the break, we were going to talk about Windows 8. This is from Techie Buzz. Windows 8, the successor to the largely well-received Windows 7, is slated to be released next year. Public beta testing should commence later this year. However, you don't have to wait that long to get a taste of Windows 8. Just a few hours back, an M2 build of Windows 7 was leaked. Windows 7. They say Windows 7 was leaked. Yeah, that was uh, that, Okay. And it's already available on popular torrent trackers. However, using a leaked build has its own caveats and risks and is not for the faint-hearted. If you don't want to subject yourself to the trouble of frequently installing and reinstalling leaked Windows 8 releases, we suggest you do the next best thing. Subscribe to Techie Buzz. We will be self-promotion there. Yeah, we will be continuously bringing you the latest scoops about Microsoft's next big operating system. So, uh, what's the scoop here? Well, what they do is, is they go through on on this leaked version and, and go over some of the the updates. Uh, one of them being the ribbon interface, uh, which talking about uh, Office two thousand seven and two thousand ten and their ribbon interface. One of the first things I do is get rid of that. That's how bad it is. Uh, for, for somebody using uh, 2007 Office or probably Windows 8 for the first time, the ribbon interface is probably very intuitive and a great way to find everything you need. But as an experienced Windows user, all it does is get in your way. Uh, Wait a minute. So how are they going to integrate the ribbon into it, Windows It's part 8? of the Explorer. It, it becomes part of the Explorer oh, interface. Are you kidding me? No. Uh, why is that like necessary? It. Why? Why do yeah. we have to change things incessantly? I know why. It's so we can sell new copies of Windows, but every three years. But I have mean, you seen really, Tron, uh, Tron Legacy? No, yeah. I've got to see it. Yeah, one of my favorite scenes in it, uh, and I don't want to give anything away on it. But a uh, good movie. I, I don't know where I want to rate it, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't Tron, but it was a good, uh, a good chance to go back to the world. But there, there's this scene where. Uh, this board of directors is getting ready to release the next version of an operating system that the company does. Uh, I'm trying to think the name of uh, the main character. Uh, it's basically his, his business after he's disappeared that they've built operating successive operating systems for years and they're getting ready to release the next version. And one of the guys from the original Tron says to the board of director or the CEO of this board. So what do we do new in this, this new version of the OS and the CEO says, we changed the package. And that was pretty much it. So I always think of Microsoft uh, when, I, when I see that scene, that what Microsoft do with, 2000, uh, with uh, Windows uh, Vista, we changed the package. What did you do with 7? Change the package again and raise the price. Give you well, different versions. On 7, though, I'll have to say there were so many tweaks and, and, yeah. and modifications and enhancements. Um, it really was a, a far better operating system. I, oh, no, it was. I mean, I'm, Windows. I, I'm running a Windows XP installation right now just because the uh, software that I run in order to play all the music and what have you, uh, it requires an XP environment. But otherwise, I'm always running Windows 7. And whenever I come back to this XP install, 
uh, I realize just how much snappier, I can't believe I'm saying this, how much snappier Windows 7 is than XP. And I don't, I, I probably would get some argument from some people saying that, but I really yeah. do feel it. When I go from Windows 7 to XP, there's a definite difference uh, in how quickly applications launch and just the overall feel of it. It's much better in Windows 7. Yeah, well, I, I say all that about changing the package. I, and I recognize the fact that from Windows XP to Vista, some major underlying changes changes happened. And Windows 7 really... Not for the uh, better. Well, the, the Vista changes weren't, but Windows 7 built upon the pain that Vista right. caused us right. to, to become a pretty good operating system. Uh, so, yeah... I, I, I'm not knocking Windows 7 specifically when I make that that comment, but uh, I always Windows. I always ahead. felt that Vista users should have been given the opportunity to to hand over their Vista license and get like a fifty to seventy five percent discount off of Windows 7, if oh, not I free agree. of charge. It, yeah. I, the, the fact that that didn't happen astonishes me, or something yeah. on that order. Well, and Microsoft knew from the beginning that the kind of pushback they were going to get because of legacy devices. Uh, old applications that they were going to have changing because everything about the way uh, drivers in the the interface uh, under the the hood of Windows changed with Windows Vista, and that's why it sucks so bad because we weren't ready for it, and that's why Windows Seven seems so much better because they made it run faster, prettier, but you'd already taken the hit on Windows Vista uh, by upgrading your hardware or any of the other things you might have to do to where Windows Seven seems like this magical new operating system. Uh, so Windows but it Vista is magical, stuff. Curtis. Stop well, trying is. to pop my bubble. It is magical, and I can float with it. But <laughs> uh, at, at least I can pretend like I can float. Until you know you what? The stick. You know what? Windows eight needs to have. It needs to have real native integration with Microsoft's SkyDrive. They've got this wonderful, miraculous product out there where you get 25 gigabytes of free storage in the cloud, and there's no real decent way to access it. Not none whatsoever, and apparently it is possible if you're running Office 2010 to open up Office and uh, link it up with your SkyDrive account, and then mm -hmm. from there somehow you extract a URL from that, and then you map a drive letter to that URL, and then supposedly that'll make SkyDrive natively run for you from within Windows Explorer uh, and Win7. Um, but you have to be running Office 2010 in order to get that well, URL to make it work, from what I understand, unless there's some new way of integrating thinking, these that's come along. Isn't there a way to connect to that using the Windows Live program? You download the Windows Live program, and uh, then you can synchronize two PCs using that share, the, the SkyDrive service. Mm, it's been a while since I've done it. but So you mean you thinking, can see the SkyDrive as a folder that's clickable from within Windows Explorer? Well, what you do, no, uh, you can synchronize two computers uh, on two separate networks by uh, installing, it was a Windows Live program. I, I don't I don't think it was a beta that uh, I've only used it once. Was but, it Live Mesh? No, I, I don't think so. Where's uh, Paul Therat? Get him on the phone. Yeah, well, he, he could tell us for sure. Hold on just a minute. Let me get him on my iPhone. Uh, no, I have his but, wife's number. I'll call her. <laughs> now he's not going to listen to the podcast. <laughs> Or he is at least to, to get that. Well, that's what I mean. That's close what you're talking yeah. about. But I'm yeah, talking about just being able to go over to my grandmother's house, sign her up for a, a Windows Live account and be able to.
plug that in, and hey, what do you know? There's your SkyDrive folder in Windows Explorer, drive letter Z, or whatever. Yeah, that's what if I you want. Go to the, if you go to the, yeah, this doesn't do uh, exactly what you want, but if you Why, go to the Why, though? I mean, that seems, mesh. it seems like such an obvious path to follow. And and right. for whatever reason, they've just not done so. And that product has just languished out there. Maybe they don't want you to use it. Maybe they're afraid of what would actually happen if hundreds of millions of Windows users suddenly started taking advantage of their 25 gigabytes of free storage online. Yeah, well, it's it's like a lot of Microsoft things. They did it just because everybody told them they should do it uh, rather than really promote it. Uh, you can tell the devices that they, they or the devices or services that they really want you to use because of the amount of promotion you get from it. And Microsoft has, I, I bet you, just like our, our government has so many programs that do redundant tasks and they don't even know it, Microsoft's the same way. They, they have so many different free services or experimental services out there that they don't even realize that they, they connect to each other in some way or they, they cross, cross functionality. The left yeah. hand and the right hand. Exactly. Same old story. Well, yeah, well uh, so what else is Windows 8 purportedly going to do for us uh, that well, you know one of? Interesting, uh, well, a couple things here. It, it's, it's starting to uh, push more towards the tablet. Like we talked about the slate earlier and how people didn't want to use, or it seemed kind of clunky to use Windows 7 on that device. Well, Windows 8 is going to try to push that more. Uh, it, it's uh, enabled to work with the ARM processors, which I, I want to talk about that later. In, in connection with uh, with the Apple uh, platform, because there, there's some information about that coming out here in the last week, but uh, ARM processors are basically uh, you are typically lower lower power consumption, uh, lower spec processors that uh, are used in mobile devices uh, or embedded platforms. So Windows 8 is going to be designed from from the beginning to be able to be run using those types of processors, which means they're going to build it towards a more mobile uh, interface, potentially. Uh, but, okay, but well, thing. you know what? Good for them. But if they're going to try and shoehorn another version of Windows onto a mobile device, they better set it up in such a way that Windows detects whether it's installed on a PC or a mobile device and and chooses which interface to run. Uh, two totally separate interfaces. They cannot yeah. resemble one another whatsoever. And another problem, even if they do have two separate interfaces that have nothing to do with one another, one's made for a keyboard and a mouse and a monitor, the other for touch on a smaller screen. Uh, even if they do that, which would be smart, they're still going to have the problem of people walking around with a tablet that's, that's infected with a, an effing virus. <laughs> right. And, and yeah. people are not willing to accept that on a tablet device or any mobile device for that matter. Right. No, I agree. You don't want to sit there and It's an appliance. People are so much more willing to put personal information on a mobile device. It's ironic. I mean, especially considering all the location tracking stuff we talked about last mm -hmm. last show. But people are inherently more willing to put their life on, into a mobile device than they are into a, a, a PC and not think about it, not think about the, the concerns of who could get that data. Uh, obviously, people are concerned when they go to a PC, but uh, they... Uh, they think about it more. You, you struggle more to decide whether you're going to put your credit card num number in, whether you're going to give this website this information. But on a mobile device, if it seems to fit and feel well, people just put it in there and go. They, they, they type in all the phone numbers, do all their they searches, do. put their pictures in, and you don't think about 
what could be happening in the background. You shouldn't have so, to think about it. That's the right. thing. That's what that so, that's what that whole ecosystem is supposed to afford you. Just just on the go usage. You don't have right. to worry about these things that you've been worrying about for ten years on your uh, PC. Um, and that I mean, if it's built me. on Windows architecture, it has to be vulnerable to the same uh, types of malware right. and what have you that your PC is. Yeah, well, and Microsoft has built some cool uh, tools that help you uh, maintain a, a stateless uh, installation. I don't know if you ever used any of those, but steady state. Uh, yeah, exactly. Where you install that on your computer, and whatever you do during that session gets wiped out once you log Which, off. Which, by the way, is not available for Windows Seven. Why? I don't know. Oh, it's not. No. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, you, you. Good luck running steady state on a Win Seven machine. Have fun with that. Yeah, well, that, that's terrible, that, isn't it? That, that's that's one of the things they could do, though, to, to help with that. But still, it, it has another set of issues about uh, where you're going to store information you carry from uh, session to session. Now, there are a but, lot of third-party utilities you could install if you want to have a steady state on your machine. Mm-hmm. But the fact well, of the matter is Microsoft really should provide that because there are a lot of people that are using computers in environments where they want to be able to shut them down and have them run in exactly the same fashion they ran previously. Yeah, I think it's a it would be a value for us to explain a little more, little bit more detail because it's a an yeah, awesome feature that they had, but yeah, the, the idea was that uh you go to a coffee shop or you own a coffee shop and you have 20 PCs that people use every day. They go to all kinds of websites that you you have little control over. Uh, of course, you have uh, filters on your router and things like that, but still, you can't filter for everything. So they, they go to all these websites. They, they do a bunch of stuff to junk up your computer every day. Uh, so each night, you want to restart your computers or each time a person is done on the computer, you want to restart it and you want that environment to go back to a fresh default look that uh, is exactly the way you want it to be. So using Microsoft Steady State, you can install that on the computer, set up your environment the way you wanted it to, lock it down, then the first person to go back to that computer and use one of the usernames that you've set up uh, for Steady State, they go onto it, they, they do all the things they want to, go to all the websites, install things that are, that are allowed to be installed on that computer. Once they log off, it, all of it disappears. It was all ran in a session on the computer it wasn't stored to the hard drive. So the next time they log back into that computer or it's restarted, the system's back to that fresh uh, default installation again. Uh, this How does comes that into, work? I mean, is it all using checksums or something? Yeah, well, uh, a lot of it is if your computer's got enough RAM, a lot of it was just stored into RAM. But they, they section off a part of your hard drive as a sandbox for, for that, that state to be or for the, the session to run in. And then they, they securely wipe out that uh, that sandbox each time the the, the session ends. So actually, yeah, that I'm feature sure. should be built into Windows. Forget a it utility. Yeah, I, well, it should be built into the operating system. And it kind of made me think too. It, the opposite of what you were saying before about when when you install Windows on a device, it should be smart enough to figure out what the reason you want to install the operating system is. Uh, in any listener out there of ours that has Windows Seven. Uh, and I think Windows Vista, if you look in your your applications that are installed by default, it, it installs all the tablet uh, tools by default. Yeah. It just assumes. <laughs> you know, no one has a tablet Isn't really running Windows. Isn't that funny? Isn't yeah. that cute? And in Vista, it's really bloated too. Not, I can't yeah. imagine anyone running Vista on a tablet. But the fact right. is it does install these tablet components. If you go to... Pro, if you go to the control panel, then you go into programs and features where you can see everything that's installed. And there's a little link on the left-hand side there you click. It's uh, 
add and remove or turn Windows components on and off, something yeah. like that. And you click it, and it's got a series of checkboxes. And if you scroll down that list, you'll see that the tablet PC components are installed on your machine. Just unclick it. There's a few services you can do away with. Save some RAM. Yeah, it's kind of annoying. But, but here, here you have Microsoft installing all these tools that you're never going to use, but they don't have a, a steady state option built into it, something that yeah. is just a no-brainer. Uh, well, it's been rumored that that might be actually a component of Windows 8, but who knows? I'm not going to assume anything. And I have yeah. a feeling, I, I just have a feeling, I'm going to call this now, and I think Windows 8 is going to be a disappointment for a lot of people. Well, I, I think so. I, I think you could be right for the fact of what I said before, that Windows Vista took the hit for negative press. Right. Windows 7 got to be this great new thing that all it really did was give a facelift to Vista. What's Windows 8 going to do for us? Uh, so far, the, the features we've talked about don't do anything on a fundamental level that, that changes the computing experience. So I don't see, I don't see how they could do anything major. Uh, really, if you think about it, what's the next step in computers? Uh, I, I think that the way we interface with a computer is, is probably it. Touch, uh, touch and voice command have to be the, the next step, but we're, we're nowhere near being able to give away our keyboard and, and mouse and, and use voice and, and and a touch interface as your sole use of a computer. I think we're probably 30, 30 years away from something like that. Which is unfortunate because I wanted to still be uh, uh, able to think straight when that happens. But, but Well, for but you, it would it happens, need to happen in the next 10. In the next exactly, 10. so I'm worried. Uh, if it doesn't happen next week, I'm in trouble. So. so you were going to talk, were you going to say anything about additional features that you know are coming in Windows 8 and maybe I interrupted you or was that pretty uh, much it? Well, the only other thing I wanted to mention was the the pattern uh, login. Uh, let's see here. I had an article. Uh, I don't know if you happen to see the article that I put up about uh, the pattern login screen, which is basically uh, they're integrating similar to what Android has and you can get some apps for the iPhone to do it too, to where you set up a pattern to uh, click on uh, or either touch or click on uh, for their touchscreen interface for, for windows. It's kind of right. funny that, that the, the operating system is starting to pull in features that uh, mobile devices are using. It's uh, because it that. makes sense. I mean, yeah. there are certain things that just, they just make sense. <laughs> That's one of them. I mean, the idea <laughs> of, you know, windows, eight, uh, windows eight, it just makes sense. Well, I don't know if I go that far. I'm, I'm already feeling bearish about Windows 8. I don't know why. Maybe it is because coming off of Vista, as you said, the bar had been set so low that anything could be an improvement over that. And people, so many people have to use Windows that they just they they would take anything just so they could at least feel better about what they're forced to use. And right. and Windows 7 comes along and it fills that void and it gets accolades. Um, Arguably deserved, I think deserved. Um, some might say not, but I think Windows 7 is really solid. But Windows 8 is coming off of Windows 8 is wish Pink Floyd's "Wish You Were Here" to "Dark Side of the Moon." You know, it's like you've got this insanely popular, legendary album in "Dark Side of the Moon" or Windows 7, and you've got to mm -hmm. follow that up. Uh, there's no way Microsoft is going to pull off a Pink Floyd "Wish You Were Here" with Windows 8. I don't yeah, it's kind of happen. funny to think Microsoft even ever being the the real. That, that shows you how bad Vista was to say that Windows 7 is that revolutionary to 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 think that it. 
I don't know how, they, how, how to phrase that. I don't really know that Windows 7 was revolutionary. It was just after three years of unreliability and frustration and, and personal torment as a computer user, finally yeah. I can enjoy using the computer again and I don't have to go back to an operating system that's 10 effing years old to do it. Right. Well, I'll tell you, I, I've been upset with Microsoft with the, the whole uh, operating system game all the way back to uh, Windows 98, uh, Windows 98 SE, and Windows 2000, because uh, I, I beta tested operating systems for, for years. And uh, I remember the, the whole conversation in emails, Microsoft saying, uh, we are not going to re- be releasing anything between 98 and 2000. All the things that happened with on the business side, all the things Windows 2000 did well, we're going to integrate that into the next big, awesome uh, operating system that converges home and uh, business PCs. And then all of a sudden, and I got multiple emails about this straight from Microsoft saying this is what our roadmap is. And then all of a sudden I get the email, hey, let's test Windows Millennium. And I'm like, okay, this is the exact operating system you said wasn't going to happen. You promised us everything was going to be focused on this next step, which would ultimately become uh, what what 2000 was for XP. And uh it was the worst operating system I've ever seen. I don't know if you ever used Windows Millennium for anything, but yeah, I if did. You, it was if it you was had, an abomination. Yeah, they, they, it's like they took two or three features on the networking side of Windows 2000 and kind of shoehorned it in there with Windows 98 and said, "Hey, here's a great new revolutionary device." Uh, well, it was the anything. last version of Windows, was it not? Before they finally merged the NT technology with the consumer end. Right. Well, well, that's the thing. They promised that they were going to build an operating system that merged NT and the, the 9X uh, platform. I, that's not exactly what you called it then, but the 95, 98 platform okay. which was, was the, the I just I just, pulled, I just pulled a Nori. I, I, I made you uh, repeat yourself. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, but uh, I, I do think it was a portal. You are correct. <laughs> 2012 will be the what I do here, Curtis, is I create an aura of mystery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry for those of you who aren't familiar with the uh, George Nori quotes. I'll lay off of it. Yeah, but do go to coastgab.com, probably the best website <laughs> and community based for people who are post Nori, post Noriites. So they release Millennium despite the fact that they promised to bring about this merging of the uh, 9X and the NT technology, uh, mm-hmm. which didn't happen, I guess. Yeah, th- yeah, yeah th- that's not what it was. It basically, and, yeah. And then just- when they did do it, it th- they merged them, but in a very consumery way. But, but uh, at the same time, they were actually building what would become Windows XP. So right, that's they- what I mean. When they merged yeah. them, it was Windows XP. Right, um, and it was very consumery. The, yes. there, there wasn't like this version you could get for enterprise. And the, am I correct in that? I mean, right. you yeah, just got right, Windows yeah. XP, and that was it. Well, there's XP Home. And oh, well, XP yeah, oh, I, I yeah. stand corrected. But even yeah, the Pro but, version but had all kinds of uh, consumer muck in it. Right. Well, in after a couple of years, they released the Media Center edition. Also, uh, oh, that's which, a, that's a lot them. of fun. Yeah. Uh, in the chat room, we have a ETOZ uh, who wrote one good thing, just one good thing for Windows Millennium. When it when it installed, mom couldn't f it up. Uh, yeah, but it was already how up by the time. It, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's true. Yeah, it, it was already jacked up. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what true. he means by that. Mom couldn't he, f it up. What's he mean? 
Yeah, well, it, from my point of view, because it was already effed up. Uh, the, well, maybe he the, means because it was the first version of Windows to incorporate the system restore feature, which, yeah, by the way, true. never works. Yeah, uh, you and I were having an offline conversation about that earlier, and I think an, an important way to uh, differentiate somebody in, in the computing world who really enjoys to talk about things compared to somebody who just wants to get it fixed and moved on is whether they bring up system restore over and over again or windows repair two of the worst things microsoft ever built it gets worse than that i mean i i really do reach for my loaded glock 45 when someone asks me well do you think maybe a defrag would do it right. oh god is this loaded Thing. Yeah, but my computer was infected with a virus and uh, hijacked this as it ki- or it fixed it. So then I installed Windows Defender or whatever it's called now uh, from Microsoft, uh, and, and I ran that six times, and it says it's clean now. I've uh, been looking uh, at pop-ups of big giant black penises for the last twelve days. You think I should defrag? <laughs> no, I think you're fine. Security <laughs> Essentials. That's the new version of Defender. I had to look there. Um, speaking but, of uh, Security Essentials, there is a new security scanner from Microsoft. Um, let me pull it up here real quick. Microsoft Safety Scanner is what it's called. Uh, the Microsoft Safety Scanner is a free downloadable security tool that provides on-demand scanning and helps remove viruses, spyware, and other malicious software. It works with your existing antivirus software. The Microsoft Safety Scanner expires 10 days after being downloaded. To rerun a scan with the latest anti-malware definitions, download and run the Microsoft Safety Scanner again. So apparently what this does is it runs in its own environment. It doesn't have to pack unpack DLLs and make registry mm-hmm. entries in order to run and all of this happy you-know-what. It just run. You can run it off of a USB stick. Um, you can run it off of a CD or a DVD. It doesn't actually install. It's self-contained. And I think that this is going to be a great solution for people who get bit by those. Uh, you have five hundred viruses. Pay sixty nine ninety five to have them removed from your system. I think this is going to get people around that because that particular piece of malware will disable your ability to run any exes. That are actually installed on the system. You can't run if you have malware bytes installed. You can't even run it. You can't even bring up the task manager. Uh, you can't do. You really can't do anything. Literally. I mean, the only thing you right. can do is go into safe mode, and uh, you know, from there, good luck. I, so, yeah, well, well, really quick, if you don't know for sure whether Windows Explorer.ex or Explorer.exe has been compromised in some way, <laughs> re- reinstall your operating system. Yeah, that's what Curtis and I were talking about before the show. I don't understand these people who think that the way forward when a machine is infected with malware, it, doesn't this conversation sound so antiquated and quaint, by the way? Talking yes. about infected Windows machines, I feel <laughs> right. like we're—I don't know—it just feels very ten years ago to me. But well, isn't it weird that we started off talking about how a gaming network has been hacked and has viruses? And yeah, so. Uh, so, so, what was I just saying? Oh, uh, the, going back to reinstalling. Yeah, I, I do not understand people who think that the way forward when a machine has malware on it is to pick through the machine and the file system and the registry. And the System32 folder and all of this other nonsense, just wipe the machine and reinstall Windows. I mean, you got some guy coming to you, and he has he bought this machine at Best Buy two years ago, and he's never reinstalled Windows. It probably has a boatload of the factory bloatware on there that came with the machine. 
just save his pictures and his documents and his music and his bookmarks. And if he needs you to, his emails, whatever, and reinstall Windows and get it over with. I don't understand the ego behind thinking, well, I, I know I can run this scanner and I can run that scanner. And I'll guarantee you whatever you got on your machine, I'll get it off of there. Do you really think so? Even if you get it off of there, as I was telling Curtis prior to the show, a typical Windows installation has like a quarter of a million files on it or more. Some malware has been on your machine for days running amok. Yeah. You have no idea what it's modified on your system. Once you even do get it removed, if you do successfully, you don't know what ports have necessarily been opened unless you're going to go check. Uh, you don't know what services have been turned on or turned off or added or modified. You don't have. You don't know what's been done to the uh, host's file. You can go look at all these things, but yes, you can go look at all these things. But my point yeah. is, by the time you've done all of this, you would just as well have. Uh, you may just as well have reinstalled Windows, and the, the end yeah. result is going to be far better anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think of a good scenario to compare that to. Maybe walk into a a prison and take your your three top credit cards that have no balances on them, and just sit those credit cards in the common area of the the cafeteria. Walk out and then hope that everything is going to be fine, and that they're not going to sell that data or sell sell your card information or whatever. Just walk out and never worry about it again. That's what you do, from my point of view, when you go ahead and try to fix it, but you don't know for sure if you got everything. Uh, yeah, it looks all nice and friendly. You walked out and nobody hurts you, but you have no idea what they did with your personal information after the fact. Just clean or wipe the thing out and start over. If uh, you're a, taking a, a customer's money, I mean, this is this is my bit of advice to those of you who are out there uh, making any form of a living off of helping people with their machines. If you're taking mm -hmm. money from a customer, you have to be able to guarantee them when you hand the machine back to them that, it is safe to use. They're not going to be coming back to you in a week or two with the same problem or a different malware problem. You have to just wipe windows. I mean, I, I, I just, I get, it's ego. That's all yeah. it is. It's ego. Well, I don't and, need and, to reinstall windows. Shut up. Well, and, and the thing too is that it, it goes back to what that person is looking for. There's a building or there's repairing PCs for, uh, uh, what's what's a good way to say it? You're, you're just trying to bust through computers uh, per hour and bill for it, or you're trying to build relationships with customers and 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 have uh, some dignity in the process. And the guy who just just cleans it and hands it back, they were looking to bill for hours, and, and they got as many hours out of it. And they might not know it consciously, but they know that that computer is going to be back to them. There's more billable hours in it before they finally reload it. And that drives me crazy. One of my, my biggest pet peeves in the computer industry. I, I want to build relationships on my knowledge, showing that when you come to me, I'll fix it. I'm going to charge you a, a good price, and I'm not going to see you again for that same reason. Unless you're an idiot and go do the exact same things over right, again. Right, which happens. But yeah, but but hopefully I've hardened your PC to a point to where maybe you won't do the same thing again. But uh, Yeah, I have... Um I have had customers come to me and say that they went to another company prior to coming to mine where they dropped their PC off, and about an hour later, they got a call saying it was ready. It had been infected with malware. They got a call about an hour later saying it's ready, and they got the computer, and they have to pay $150. Can you believe yeah. that? Just to run a scanner of some kind on somebody's machine? or to Here's what they told them. Well, we took the hard drive out, and we plugged it into another machine and then scanned it that way. And so we know it's clean now. Oh, do you? Really? Right. That's $150, is it? A monkey could do that. 
<laughs> it's really abominable. Um, okay, yeah. well, we, we have gone almost, a, we've gone over an hour now, and we've probably gone through about two to three stories. So we mm-hmm. need to start plowing through some of these. Um, Intel redesigns transistors for fast, faster computers. Intel said Wednesday that it has redesigned the electronic switches on its chips so that computers can keep getting cheaper and more powerful. The switches, known as transistors, have typically been flat. By adding a third dimension, fins that jut up from the base, Intel will be able to make the transistors and chips smaller. Think of how skyscrapers address the need for more office space when land is scarce. The company said the new structure will let chips run on less power. That gives Intel its best shot yet at cracking the growing markets for chips used in smartphones and tablet computers. Intel has been weak. Uh, Intel has been weak there because its current chips use too much power. Do people really care that much about power consumption on a chip unless it's in the mobile space? I, yeah, that, I, I that's really, what they care. It's all. Is that all this is? Is a bid to get into the mobile space where Intel is getting facially raped right now? Well, I, I think this is a marketing deal too. Uh, you got to remember, Intel just entered into an agreement or, or into a partnership uh, not too long ago to to build the uh, uh, Lightwave. What's the the other name for it? Uh, the, Thunderbolt. Their new Thunderbolt. Yeah. The 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 bus transfer system that they put a lot of money into. Go into some that, detail on that. Exactly what that is. Yeah, we'll we'll think of uh, FireWire or uh, the USB bus. This is a, a bus like that to transfer a lot of data really really quickly. Uh, also for your display, you, you can pretty much pump display information, data bits like USB, uh, all through one interface that's using uh, fiber optics. Uh, to manage it, which I'm surprised fiber optics haven't become a bigger part of the, the PC world uh, for data transfer at this point anyway, uh, or transmission of it. It's uh, not expensive. Inf- why exactly. Why hasn't it? I don't. That yeah, is a good but, question. Why hasn't it? Is yeah, this so, a, maybe this is some sort of an artificial um, hindrance uh, or some sort of an artificial yeah. retardation of the market. For, yeah, we have to think that as as the materials, the the rare earth materials they use to build. A lot of these components become more expensive, then they'll move more towards that. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I really have wondered for a long time why we haven't seen fiber optics used in a lot more unique ways that, that someone hasn't come up with this really innovative design. Uh, going back to the, this Intel chipset, then they, they, they call them their 3D chips. Uh, all that's done is something that I think we don't have to be uh, engineers to, to think of. Hey, you know what? Our chip that's been flat up to this point, let's start building up on it, but on a microscopic scale. Uh, and it's going to let us put more information on a smaller chip. That, that, that makes sense. It, why didn't they do that a long time ago? Uh, they, they weren't forced to. So th- this is a marketing ploy, first off, I think, to to help gain some ground because people might not be as excited about Thunderbolt uh, as they should be. And Intel knew that well in advance. It was a kind of a... a, a an early losing venture for them to be a part of it, but they love Apple and want to want to keep their connection with them, so they they jumped on board with it. But uh, but but anyway, the, this this chip it, it's supposed to be able to allow them to get into uh, mobile devices better. It also helps in their their Atom platform, which I really like that, and it's one of the cool cool things that that Intel has done. Uh, anyone who's built a PC in the past or has to manage specs on a PC probably knows well the Intel uh, Pentium, Pentium uh, 4, and now, uh, well, actually then the Core and the the i platform, like the i5, i7, 
you, you know those chipsets and you probably remember the Celeron chipset, uh, which was their, their lower powered, slower alternative to the more expensive Pentium lines. The, the Atom chipset is the replacement for, uh, for the Celeron, basically. It's a low power consumption, not as fast, but, but can handle a lot of, lot of different devices, multimedia, some minor gaming, but especially web browsing. Uh, this 3D chipset will work now in the, the Atom platform. That's where it has, has value because it can be in smaller devices, media center type devices, uh, low power consumption, not, not high, uh, high usage machines. There's, they're not going to be gaming systems. That, that's cool. That's a natural progression that Intel needs to continue making the Atom processor better, use less power in general because we all are uh, cognizant of the fact that we should use less power or, or power is a, a commodity. Uh, those are all great things, but the fact that the chip's 3D, does that, does that inherently tell me it does anything better? No. Uh, well, they say I, I it's something like, I think they said 37% faster. Right. But, the, but it should be. I mean, the, 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 isn't that Moore's Law that it should get faster? Well, this is a bid to keep up with Moore's Law. It seems to me right. like a lot of what's happening in, in chip development happens for the purpose of trying to keep up with this arbitrarily established um, expectation that technology is going to double in speed and decrease in price uh, proportionally every 18 months um, because of Gordon Moore. Well, who's he? Stop trying to be what he wanted you to be and just make your chips. <laughs> I, yeah, well, I mean, they specifically mentioned this will enable us to keep up with Moore's Law. Is it really that big of a deal to you to keep up with Moore's Law? I realize, what, isn't he the one of the founders of Intel, I guess? Um, I, I guess maybe there's some legacy there and you want to continue as long as you can to prove him right. But there's going to come a point unless something radically changes in how chips work, uh, where we just kind of hit a brick wall as far as this Moore's law thing goes. Um, I think we already have really, don't you? I mean, do you really think that chip speeds are are doubling every 18 months still? I don't see that. Well, well, the thing is that from a marketing perspective, they've changed the way we, uh, the way you gauge a chip speed. So how could you tell whether it has? If you compare a, a, a Intel Core 2 Duo processor and its speed and the basic uh, specs of it, not digging in deep to it, compare that to an i7 or, or say an i5, how, they don't seem to be, the, they're, they're not the same chip. They're, they're Everything about them, the motherboards you're going to use, the chipset is all so different that it's not an apples to apples comparison anymore. So I can't say that that it doubled in 18 months. Uh, it, it's all become a marketing game. The same thing with with AMD and its chipsets. You, you can't compare uh, an Intel and an AMD chipset in any way, and you never have been able to do that really with the with the two. So Moore's law is kind of irrelevant to the end user uh, as a as a more experienced PC user and trying to build a power system, you have to dig so deep into the specs that it really becomes irrelevant. Who cares if it, if it expanded over 18 months, the, the idea is you should be able to, to, to jump out, you know, 20 years from now and, and predict what size hard drives we should have, how fast our computers are going to be. Uh, but who cares? I only really care about right now. Uh, and of course, none of that stuff has really worked out the way they expected. Anyway, we're, we're a creature that jumps and leaps and bounds. Uh, you can only find a, you can only follow a scale for so long. You don't have to go very far in this story to find for consumers. The fact that Intel's transistors will have a third dimension means that they can expect a continuation of Moore's law. 
Yeah, uh, I didn't even see uh, that. You know, I, I can sleep it, yeah. well at night now. Uh, I was really concerned about Mr. Moore's law. Um, so that ought to be interesting. What this essentially means because of these three-dimensional gates um, on these transistors, that they can switch on and off more rapidly, and there's less leakage through the gate. Um, for those of you who understand transistors, you're going to know exactly what I'm referring to here, um, which the, the the leakage issue means far greater power efficiency and the switching speed uh, means far greater speed uh, and yeah, computationally. Well, in, in processor design, sometimes you'll hear about uh, what size die they're using for it, whether it's a 90 millimeter or a, a 40 millimeter. The, the idea is the you're not going to get any faster based on silicone technology the, where, where it sits now. There, there's really no speed increases to be had or power efficiencies to be had. The only thing you can do is make it smaller and closer together. So uh, chip engineers are constantly trying to to make it smaller and smaller and bring as much of the processing power onto the chip as they can uh, to speed it up the, the time between uh, – data bits trans transferring back and forth or a cycle, uh, a chip cycle happening, uh, which is everything that's happening with your processing is a, just a cycle of, of that processor. So yeah, the idea of this is to continue bringing that die, make it smaller and now go up to instead of just side to side, like you're used to thinking on a, a typical chip and that should give you more space in a smaller, uh, more access in a smaller space for, for all of this processing to be happening on the chip. It's kind of ironic too, if you think about it, jump back eight years ago and we're, we're adding GPUs to, to our uh, video cards to offload some of the processing power. And uh, with the different uh, buses for data transfer, you're having more and more of that uh, processing pushed over to your chipset on the motherboard with serial ATA and all of that, or RAID becoming a bigger deal everything jumped off the chip so the chip could focus on sending those cycles back and forth quicker or faking you into thinking it's doing two cycles at once when it's really just doing one. So everything was about getting it off the CPU. Now all of a sudden it's about getting it back on it and, and, and shrinking it. It's kind of a, it's weird you know, to think about how they, they play us back and forth. Going back to a conversation, a previous conversation, ETOZ in the chat room says, oh, by the way, I never charge for virus cleaning, plus I teach the customer how to prevent it. Well, I'll tell you this, brother, <laughs> you go open up an office and start paying rent, um, and then we'll we'll talk again, <laughs> yeah, see what you the, charge for. <laughs> the, the key thing to remember in that conversation, because a lot of people are going to hear that who are who are the, the weekend warrior computer people or or they're the, the official PC person for their, their mom or grandma or, or next door neighbor. We're not talking about them. We're talking about people who do this uh, for a living and making money off of it. Right. Uh, That's how I, yeah, that, my, how I feed my wife. <laughs> yeah. If, uh, if you're, you're helping out your friends and you're doing the best you can and you're probably really good at what you do in, until you have to deal with the over and over again uh, issues of a large base of people who depend on you, you, you'll change your mind at that point. I understand why those other people, that why the people just breaking into the business go the direction they do. Over time, they'll, they'll come to the realization that Michael and I have, but only experience can do that. All right. Well, we're going to take another break here. And uh, when we come black, come black. That's right. We'll be coming black to you. Uh, Fade to black. I don't really know what jokes to make there uh, for uh, the risk of offending people. So I won't do it. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, save that for the other show. <laughs> not even there. I don't really know. I don't know. Um, so anyway, yeah, we'll be back in a moment. It's uh, the spec sheet with Curtis Thornton. Visit the website, radiotrainwreck.com. You can join us in the chat room with ETOZ and... I think there are a couple other people in there. Oh, yeah, their names are Curtis and Michael. They're in there, too. Um, yeah, the one thing about this chat that I've noticed is that uh, you don't see everybody in it. it really? Like the old, yeah. Really? Yeah. I thought I fixed that with this one. Are you telling me uh, three-quarters of the way through the show I'm finding out that this chat room installation didn't fix the... Oh, my God. I, I just noticed it because I don't even see ETOZ in it. Okay, I'm going to go find some razor blades, and uh, we'll see if we're back or not after that. If we're not back, everybody, remember this was the best show we've ever done. Was it? <laughs> so far, yes. Well, we don't have any callers yet. We need some people calling. Yeah, actually, call us up. It's 573-837-4948. 573-837-4948. Back after this. Spec Sheet with Curtis Thornton. I'm Michael Van Dieven. Give us a call. It's 573-837-4948. That's area code 573-837-4948. We'll try and squeeze you in here as we approach the end of the show. Uh, Curtis, so we need to go ahead and try and squeeze some stories in here as we approach the end of things tonight. What do you want to talk about next? Uh, well, let's bring up uh, Google. You had mentioned before you were uh, before the show started. Oh. That Google was annoying you with uh, its homepage and search results. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, if you go to Google, just do a typical Google search and take a look at the results that come up. I'm going to go ahead and do that now just so I can refresh mm -hmm. my frustration. Um, the results, well, now I'm not seeing it, but I'm doing, well, the, it, I'm doing the search through Chrome. But if I go to Fire... Is this a Firefox thing? Well, there's you, a... Are you telling me this is this is specific to Firefox? No, now it's not. It's no. not doing it in Firefox well, either. I, I think it's one of those things we were doing. Uh, I think it's called multivariate testing, where it, not every time you go to it, you're going to get it. But when you do, they want to see what what you how you react to it. Well, how do they know how I react to it through mouse clicks? <laughs> Come you on, close it a lot quicker. Oh, trust <laughs> me, man. If, if you've ever used Google Analytics, you can watch exactly how long somebody spends on your website and where they click too. I, it, it, it really annoyed me. What it basic, basically, it looked like stripped-down search results. Uh, it just I don't know what it was, but it looked like there was just really something missing. If anyone else saw this, give us a holler and just, just kind of reinforce for me that I'm not crazy because I was seeing this all day today. Uh, the search results, they were thin. It was a different font. The, the results were more spread out. So you had to do more scrolling to see all the results as opposed to having, you know, a good seven or eight results in, in the frame there without any scrolling, depending upon your monitor size and resolution and what have you. Um, it just wasn't good. And it was frustrating me all day today. And I just kept saying to myself, is this another thing Google's going to change just because they feel like they can? Really? Not this. Not not the core of what it is you do. Please. Not I can't take any more changes. Everything. I don't like change. <laughs> In some regards, I don't. I mean, I'm not saying I'm totally averse to change always and any time, but I don't want any problems in my uh, search results here. And I noticed Curtis seemed to be a little bit quiet there because usually he would jump in prior to when he did here, which was never. Uh, and he just texted me to say his machine has blue screened. 
So in the course of that, I'm going to go ahead and pull up some of these stories that we haven't talked about yet. <clears throat> oh, let's see. Uh, the Canadian government forces citizens to watch what they tweet. This is from Time. Uh, Canadians need to be careful what they tweet about if they don't want to end up with a fine of $25,000 or five years in jail. By the way, Curtis is restarting now. A Canadian law that prohibits citizens from publishing election results before all the polls in the country have closed holds new meaning in today's digital age. The law was intentionally directed at public radio and created to prevent Eastern voting results from affecting Western voting behavior. And I think, by the way, after the 2000 election, we had similar laws passed here. Uh, you may, may recall that the, the people at Fox News were the first to call the election for Al Gore, which was purported to have caused American voters to stop voting for Gore because they decided it wasn't necessary, which then enabled Bush, supposedly and purportedly, to creep up in the the uh, uh, vote count because the people who otherwise were going to vote for Gore felt they no longer needed to. And so these types of laws are designed to prevent that sort of thing. Uh, the truth or uh, uh, fallacy of what it is that I just said about the 2000 election, I'm not necessarily interested in getting into that, but that is the basis behind why these laws exist. Uh, given the rate and frequency at which today's news flows through cyberspace, the law is not only somewhat obsolete, but also has significant implications for some channels of information, namely Twitter. Section 329 of the Canada Elections Act states, no person shall transmit the result or purported result of the vote in an electoral district to the public in another electoral district before the close of all the polling stations in that other electoral district. So this law is designed, again, for the public broadcasting system primarily. That's what it was aimed toward. But now in this digital era we live in where, I mean, regular people have oftentimes a couple hundred Twitter followers all over the world. Uh, and you can damn well bet that in the course of an election day, uh, someone is probably likely to take advantage of their Twitter feed and update people that are following them on what it is that they think is happening with the election. Uh, and so naturally, in the course of that, this law is going to have to come into play. And uh, it's interesting to note what may or may not happen to these people as they uh, use Twitter. I think most people have no idea, really, that they are, in fact, liable under this law if they do broadcast election results on tools like Twitter, they probably think, well, it's Twitter. Come on. I'm not the I'm not the public broadcasting system. Why can't I go? Are you back, Curtis? Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, I was letting you finish. So you're talking about okay. Canada. Are you on your uh, iPad or something right I, now? I'm on my iPhone currently. Hopefully it doesn't sound too okay. bad. Okay, but... you sound different, but it's not bad. I was okay. talking about this law in Canada that um, prohibits people broadcasting election results and uh, it's primarily not broadcasting election results. It it prohibits you broadcasting what purportedly is happening in a district, an electoral district, uh, to another electoral district, thereby preventing the manipulation of the polls. It, it um, is taking ta taking laws that were designed for for AM radio and and talk radio and the news and applying it towards a new medium. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And so, what do, what's your take on how this is going to play out? And Canada, well, I think they, 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 they've got an imminent disaster on their hands, really. Yeah, I don't see how this is going to last for another year. I understand. Uh, unless the they want to see grandmothers in jail. 
<laughs> right. Yeah, well, it's one of those things where, where they, they enact a law that you know they're never going to punish anybody on, but they, they have to do the threatening moves. Because I understand it for radio and, and TV, it makes sense. But you, you can't hinder somebody's desire to explain and tell the world uh, how they feel uh, through through an, an electronic medium, especially Twitter, Facebook, those types of things. Uh, it's ridiculous. I, I don't see how this is going to last. Canada is a little bit different, though, as you're, in in terms of free yeah. speech issues than the United States. I, actually, they're very different. I mean, yeah, you can you can get yourself in legal trouble, actual legal trouble, not civil trouble, but like criminal trouble, making jokes about race or uh, uh, sexual orientation, things of that nature. In Canada, well, where here, yeah, it may be offensive, and yeah, you may cause trouble for yourself and your job, but not with the government. The government can't actually do anything to you on a criminal level. But in Canada, things are a little bit different. And I don't think a lot of Americans understand that. Yeah, a lot of our uh, our media people, uh, uh, actors and uh, musicians find that out the hard way when they get not only shunned, but are banned from going to, to cities there uh, after doing the wrong thing or by the, by their standards, the wrong thing. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I just think of Twitter as uh, th- this open place that is the fundamental reason that the first first amendment's there. You can say things that are shocking and terrible and everyone disagrees with, but everyone has a chance to say whatever they want to say. And it includes voting. I mean, think about Canadians are or Canadian military is involved in the the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And how much do we promote the the idea of voting? And you see the I think they're the blue fingers of uh, people who voted in Iraq and Afghanistan. And and social media is pretty much the exact same thing of saying I voted and here's my opinion and here's why you should do the same thing. Yeah, as me. really, that's all it is. It's opinions, yeah. isn't it? I yeah. mean, I, 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 it's ridiculous. It's- uh, yeah, there are a lot of antiquated laws out there that are going to have to reevaluate the landscape in which we now find ourselves. Yeah, the, um, the scary thing is I could see politicians in America trying to do the exact same thing because again they're trying to apply the wrong set of rules like, as if it's radio uh, to the internet medium and it's not. Yeah, you can end up having some of the same end results, but but the thing is that a, a radio station or a TV network is a corporately controlled entity that has goals, financial desires, and a message of its own to put out. Even if it is just a news organization, they're all slanted some some way. But as an American citizen or as a Canadian citizen, you have the right to promote anything and everything you want to, whether it's for, for financial gain or not. It's different. Pe- people tune in differently than they do to those other mediums. Um, this is from VentureBeat. No, Apple won't be dumping Intel chips for ARM, you crazies. Is this something you want to talk about, or do you feel like we kind of touched on this? We did. All I want to say is that that, that article, which I, I, I think uh, hopefully this is the episode where we have uh, show notes that are, are clear in it. Uh, th- this is the article that anyone who's an Apple fan needs to read if they're worried at all about what the transition to a different chipset could be, because the, the rumor has been that that Apple's going to dump Intel for ARM chipset chipsets uh, in the future for the MacBooks and uh, for pretty much their entire line of Macintosh uh, products. But but this article, I think, rightly states that Microsoft or Apple has too much at stake with its relationship with Intel to keep up with Microsoft speeds and PC speeds. That there's no way they're going to switch to the ARM processor. So it's pretty safe to say MacBooks, MacBook Pros, iMacs aren't going to change to ARM. Uh, and the operating system is already designed to run with, with that chipset for its mobile devices. 
And that's a good thing on the mobile devices to have that relationship. And Apple actually bought a company that was building a processor similar to the ARM processor. Uh, they bought it and took the people who who were designing that and have them working with with ARM now to make their processors more efficient. So uh, regardless of all the rumors that are going around that Apple's going to be switching to a, another chipset uh, or back to the ARM chipset, it's not going to happen. Uh, I'm pretty safe or pretty comfortable saying that that uh, that's all rumors for rumors sake. Uh, it'd be ridiculous for for Apple once they finally jump to a platform that that is on par with uh, the PC and speeds and everything. It's the exact same stuff. Uh, and now they finally have speeds that that compare and uh, the fastest Macs ever. Why would they change to something that's slower uh, and uh, uses less power? This is from CNET. The Army enlists Android for battlefield comms. The U.S. Army is establishing a beachhead on the shores of of smartphone tech, and it's gotten Google's Android operating system in its ranks. The Android-based Joint Battle Command Platform, or GBCP gadget, is undergoing evaluations and moving closer to deployment, according to a report on the Army website earlier this week. The JBCP handheld, which is currently in prototype form, is part of a broader effort by the Army to bring more mobile communications capabilities to soldiers engaged in tactical operations. It's a significantly modified version of Android called Mobile Handheld Computing Environment that's running in the JBCP handheld. The Army is supplementing the platform with several mission command applications, including mapping, blue force tracking, I don't know what that is, tactical ground reporting, and critical messaging. In addition, soldiers will likely have access to other applications, including an address book and open office. (laughs) And they can put status (laughs) updates for... Over the summer, the Army plans to release a software development kit for third-party developers to create create other applications that might be of use to soldiers. That sounds risky to me. That's the, wild. That's a total change from the typical hardened platform. But. Yeah. The applications built into the platform can be enhanced by third-party developers as well, the Army report says. I think what they'll probably do, they'll pull the Microsoft bait-and-switch where they say, hey, uh, you know, we hear about this product that your company's making and we're considering buying your company. If you could just bring us in and show us what it is that this product does and how it's developed and and give us a really good idea of what it is we might be in for. And then they go in and they take a look at it and then they go make it themselves and kill the computer competitor uh and this seems kind of like a similar thing where what they're going to do is they're going to get these developers to develop applications to operate on this android variant that the army is going to be using and rather than directly use that i can't imagine that it would be considered uh i can't imagine that it would be considered security wise feasible to use apps developed by third-party developers just out there in the world who happen to have an sdk (laughs) and and just think that that's safe for battlefield ops particularly with the uh technical savvy of people all around the world developing for the mobile platforms out there i mean anybody could be developing apps for your soldiers to use in the battlefield on this android variant you have no idea what they've done so i think what's going to happen is these people are going to be um, urged or uh, prodded or encouraged to develop apps for this uh, use. And then what will happen is the Army is just simply going to look at the ideas that have been brought forth and reverse engineer them and do them themselves. It's more about just right. getting ideas probably. I can't yeah, imagine they're just going to directly use any of these apps. Yeah, no, I agree. I 
I, I really don't understand compared to how the military has been consistently after this point where this seemingly major departure is going to be a value for them other than like you said, maybe it's a, a playing gra- or a playground to, to create new ideas because they've ran out of that for them for themselves. But yeah, uh, First off, the government is highly uh, invested in Microsoft as far of the, as far as its technologies as is. Now, that's one of the things Barack Obama was upset about when he took over, <clears throat> excuse me, the White House, was that everything was Microsoft, and him and his staff were were PC or were Apple people. So uh, they w- went through a big battle to get that switched out. But uh, the military, same thing. They used Microsoft and custom operating systems. You, you got to think that. If this were going to become the the future of how uh, uh, military technology is designed in some some pseudo open environment, then that means we've already given up the the technology war to uh, to China. Because why would we do that any other way? If we didn't accept the fact that that China had already created newer, more advanced technology, why would we open it up to the the end user like that, or not the end user, but to companies that? that aren't part of the traditional infrastructure of our you know, military machine. I guess one of the reasons why I, I marked this story and brought it to the show is because it's just indicative of how ubiquitous Android is becoming. Oh, yeah. And it, I really think that this operating system is going to rule the world totally in two years. In two years, I think that the iPhone is going to be an afterthought. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have left the iPhone platform for Android. I can count five people I've known. And they didn't do it because they were encouraged to by me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the big thing? Or do you know what what, what was the driving force? From I don't know. IPhone? I haven't really gotten a straight answer from any of these people. Just, well, I just, I don't know. I like it more. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I, I've used both platforms enough that I, I don't have any major negative from the the Android, other than your experience when you're on the device is, isn't polished. Uh, depend well, depending on who it is who manufactured the device you're using, right? The way the way they interface to it is the big difference. So some of those suck really bad, and other ones aren't too bad. Uh, like the Droid X is a, a pretty good uh, UI, but that's because Motorola put a bunch of time into making sure the thing. Uh, I, th- I don't know. I have to disagree with you. I think Motorola really slopped it up pretty bad. Really? Uh, well, yeah. I, I'm comparing it to, uh, I don't know, I think of, HTC is another one I put into the category that I'm okay with, but uh, there's others out there. I'm just like, Most- okay, they took Android and just let it go, you know, <laughs> which in the or in the mobile world, uh, going back to that thing about people just trust putting their, their information out there. It's got to it's got to feel slick and like it's going to think for you uh, to put it really generically, uh, and uh, Android on its own doesn't. That's the same problem Linux has. Uh, when anybody installs on a computer, if they install a distribution that isn't pretty and hasn't thought ahead for them, like an Ubuntu would do, that they've put a lot of work into dumbing it down, uh, then the average user is just going to give up on it quickly. Um. Let's see. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a little distracted here because my wife is complaining that she has no Wi-Fi connection on her laptop, and I'm trying see, to do tech support at the same time I'm hosting a radio but, show, and the but, two don't really mix particularly well with one another. But Well, I tell you what, uh, when my computer, uh, I, I think maybe uh, the government's figured out what we're doing here, and they're, they're, or maybe Google has, as we were talking about a Google story. My computer went straight to a blue screen, and uh, it, it's decided not to come back up. Well, if they found a way to kill my Wi-Fi signal without actually taking out my internet connection, they really are brilliant. It's impressive, isn't it? Uh, that uh, that that's surgical. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, that's beyond surgical. Um, let's see. AT&T starts selling cell tower and a suitcase. You want to talk about that? That's kind of boring. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm still interested in what, what that means. Is it, they're, they're not going to put the time to invest their, in their own network. Was this one of your stories? That was one of yours. Okay. I feel okay calling it boring then. That's if fine. you had told me it was one of yours, I was going to correct myself well, and say, well, you know uh, what? no, that's a really – thank you for this contribution, Curtis. <laughs> yes. No, it wasn't mine. But, but uh, it, it's interesting for several reasons we can talk about maybe at another another yeah. time, less technically. Uh, we, we had to do what we talk about instead of uh, – um, Apple to distribute OSX Lion via the Mac App Store. Apple this summer is expected to release Mac OS X Lion. As opposed to other OS X releases, however, Lion's going to be available for purchase via the Mac App Store. I already said that. Since yeah, well, debuting this past January, the Mac App Store has been a mild success for Apple, though it hasn't come close to replicating the booming success of the iTunes App Store. Yeah, the problem there, I think, is that, uh, again, going back to how people uh, perceive their, their device on the phone, it's really simple to go to an App Store whether it's Google Map or Google Google Store or uh, the BlackBerry Store or the Apple I, uh, Apple Store, if I could talk, uh, but but on the PC it's different. You're used to going and and getting your your software through different venues. It's much more open. It's weird to think that I'm going to go to to Apple to buy everything, or here soon go to Microsoft's App Store to buy it. It's just weird. I think it's cool as a way to consolidate and be a a database of of what all is possible and what's sanctioned i guess quote unquote but uh i can i can see why the uh, mac mac app store hasn't been successful on the on the mac side of it and it i like the idea of the operating system being available there but i dread the day when all software is available only digitally including your operating system and you don't get that physical disk to reinstall without an internet connection LastPass warning should you worry in the wake of a network traffic anomaly LastPass today issued an alert and asked asked its users to change their master passwords. For those of you who don't know, LastPass is a key safe, like a password safe. Um, hmm. So what you do is you have all of your passwords stored in this thing. Uh, it saves them to the cloud. It saves them online for you, encrypted, of course. Um, and all you have to do to access your passwords is enter a master password, and any web browser on any machine in the world that you install LastPass on, you'll have access to all of your passwords, and it generates passwords for you. Uh, they're secure passwords with lots of crazy characters, upper, lowercase, numbers, what have you. Um, and so apparently they got hacked, and it was announced, I think, today. Um, was that today that they announced that, or was it yesterday? It was yesterday. Okay, because I am still unable to connect to their infrastructure. Yeah, see, as a user of it, what do you think of their service? You know, besides the, the idea that it's been hacked, has it worked fairly well for you? Well, yeah, but I do find that, for instance, when I'm on CoastGab, uh, there is a bar that pops up at the top of the screen repeatedly that says something to the effect of, do you want to autofill passwords? Do you want to auto log in? And I've clicked that button a thousand times uh, on all of those pages, and it keeps continually popping up on me. I have no idea why, and frankly, it's becoming a little bit annoying. Yeah, no, that, that, that would be frustrating. I, I, I've always taken the point of view of any kind of password consolidator. I, I don't want to use it. Uh, you know, there's been several different uh, versions of those come out over time that become popular, and I don't know. I don't like giving away the kings, the keys to the kingdom to, to one app in the cloud that could be hacked like this one. But, 
I just uh, I've been I had been using KeyPass, but mm-hmm. the problem is I'll have KeyPass installed on my machine here. I'll have it installed at my on my machine at the office, and then I'll change. Okay, honey, I can't deal with this right now. You're gonna I'm doing a radio show. I can't I can't fix your Wi-Fi problem right now. No, just let me finish the radio show here, and I'll fix your computer. I'm doing a radio show. Well, <laughs> That's right. Chop chop. <laughs> When she can't get online, she is a miserable woman. I mean, that would be all spouses of computer people. She, if 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 the internet connection does not work as expected, which it's under, understandable because really she's indicative of how things are changing in entertainment. I mean, she doesn't turn to cable TV for her entertainment. Uh, she doesn't turn to a magazine or a book or anything. she hmm. she wants to get on her computer. And that's really indicative of how things are changing. I mean, to the point where she's disgusted with the world because her internet connection doesn't work. Yeah, it was probably a story for another time, but uh, uh, data is showing that for the first time in I forget how many years now, but uh, sales have shown that Americans are turning more or turning less and less to TVs and actually buying less TVs that the amount of TVs per household is actually starting to drop exactly for the reason you just described. But okay, I find she's that, back. She's back now. But, okay, what but, do you want, well, honey? I, I wonder if we've reached that point to wrap up anyway. Uh, yeah. Let me try. Okay, put the password in here. Let's see if that works. Now she's tethering with my, my Android phone here because she's given up on the wireless router. <laughs> you put the wrong password. Oh, did I? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, why don't you let everybody know what that password is? God, you're mean. When she has no internet access, she's so mean. <laughs> I, I don't know how I married her when she's in this state. It's really something to behold. Well, we still have some stories to plow through, but, I mean, we've done two hours now. Um, and I would say I'd, I'd say it's been real. I, I would say so, too. It's been a good show. Yeah, it has. And, and despite your internet connectivity problems, despite mine... I didn't really have any, with the exception of my wife's internet connectivity problems, but that didn't really affect the show so much. But that yeah. that that iPhone actually does sound quite good. And you've moved from a DSL, a crappy DSL line, to cable internet, and I'm assuming you are uh, on your iPhone over the uh, new cable internet connection yes, I am. right now? Yes, that is correct. You've not missed a beat. That's sweet. That's good to hear. It, it's, it hasn't dropped a single frame. It's been rock solid. Maybe I should go ahead and get rid of the uh, microphone and mixer that I bought then and just stick with this. Uh, why don't you keep your microphone and your mixer and all that stuff and throw the iPhone away? Uh, you sold me. Do I get your phone as a replacement? Yeah, whenever I upgrade to my new Android device, I'll shoot the Droid X your way. Why not? <laughs> nice. We can videotape it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's sweet. That's the spec sheet with Curtis Thornton. It's been a pleasure. Visit the website at radiotrainwreck.com if you'd like to download the show after the fact. A really handy way of doing it is to subscribe to the podcast feed, and uh, you'll get it dropped on your phone or your uh, MP3 player or whatever device you happen to be using automatically without any thought on your part. It works wonderfully. And again, I'd like to thank those of you who've enabled us to brag about the fact that we've, on the uh, Trainwreck website, hit about 10,000 downloads uh, between the spec sheet and uh, Michael Van Dieven's Radio Trainwreck, about 10,000 downloads, almost 10,000 in the last 30-day period. Unbelievable. I don't know how it happened, but... Yeah, it's awesome. I'm really grateful to everybody who has uh, downloaded the show. It means a lot. 
yeah, everybody definitely take take a moment and go to radiotrainwreck.com and fill out the listener survey we have there too. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. There is a yeah. survey. Just go to the website radiotrainwreck.com uh, in the menu there. Click on survey. It, it'll take about five minutes of your time. We appreciate that. Yep, and, and follow uh, the spec sheet. Like I said, uh, go to twitter.com slash the spec sheet or at the spec sheet and follow us. Let, let us know what you think of each episode and give us ideas of what you want to talk about. Another great show, Curtis, and uh, all because of you. You're really good at this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think all the magic happens on a, your side. No, hell no. I, I, I'm, I I'm telling you, whenever, whenever I throw these things at you on this show, I just pull up news stories and toss them your way and watch you run with them. Your ability to do that amazes me <laughs> every time. Uh, well, I don't hesitate to say I don't know when I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're good at what you do, and it shows, and I think that's why the show is becoming successful. So, Thanks again to everybody who's downloading the show, and uh, thanks for another good broadcast, Curtis. And uh, we'll catch you later. You have a good night over there in Indiana. Hey, you too. See ya. See ya, everybody.